will substitute silly things in place of that which is holy. Now, there's nothing wrong with what I just did here once in a while, having a little fun. That's, that's good. Church ought to be fun. We ought to be able to have fun. But the world, a lot of times, will substitute silly things in place of that which is holy. You know, at Christmas, instead of focusing on the virgin birth of Jesus, you know, a jolly old elf, a red-nosed reindeer, trees and presents become the focus. And that's sad. And on Resurrection Day, what we call Easter, a bunny, eggs, and candy oftentimes become the focus. But today I do not want to talk to you about a rabbit, but rather a lamb. A lamb. Notice in John chapter 1 verse 29, John 1 verse 29, the Bible says the next day John, now the, the Apostle John wrote this at the direction of the Holy Spirit, but John the Baptist here, it's a different John, John the Baptist, notice here in verse 29, the next day John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God, notice, who takes away. You might want to underline that or mark that in your Bible. Who takes away takes away. Notice it didn't say cover. It said takes away the sin of the world. Now, John, the apostle who wrote this, decades later, would, of course, he he was in Jesus's earthly ministry for some three and a half years. Of course, he saw Jesus die upon the cross Was John there when Jesus died on the cross? Yeah, uh, who did Jesus hand over to uh, John? Hand his mother. Mary was there. John was there at the cross when Jesus died. Now, decades later, of course, John was there when Jesus, after he was raised from the dead on the third day and all of that, he ran to the tomb. I think he outran Peter to the tomb and he pointed that out, you know, that he was faster than Peter in running and so forth. And he saw Jesus alive after, of course, Jesus was raised from the dead. But then decades later, when John had been exiled onto the Isle of Patmos because of his testimony of the word of God, which which what we're about to read implies the resurrection also, he saw Jesus decades later. And in Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, this is decades after Jesus had been raised from the dead. How many of you know Jesus is still alive today? Now, this is decades later. Revelation 1, verse 17, John says, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Of course, we celebrate that resurrection specifically today. He said, I was, he said, I'm he who lives, was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. 
Amen. And I have the keys of Hades or of hell and of death. And then John, in just a few chapters, is caught up into heaven itself. And in chapter 5, verse 6, he says, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders. Now, John is in heaven now. He's been caught up. See, what we just read in chapter 1, he was on the Isle of Patmos, and he turned and he saw the resurrected Savior. But now he's been caught up, and he sees the Lord again. And he says, I looked and behold in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain or slaughtered. Notice John, I'm talking to you today about the lamb of God. John saw Jesus as a lamb Slain. And of course, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then John sees him as a lamb as though it had been slain. And of course, we know that Jesus was slain on Calvary's cross. Why did Jesus as a lamb have to be slain or slaughtered is really a better word. Slaughtered. Slaughtered carries a heavier meaning to me than slain actually. Jesus was slaughtered. Thank God he was raised from the dead. But you need to think about this as a lamb. He was slaughtered. Why did he have to be slain or slaughtered? In the Old Testament, God used animals without spot or blemish and their shed blood to temporarily cover people's sins. Now, you need to get that. In the Old Testament, God used animals without spot or blemish and their shed blood to temporarily Cover people's sins. Now you might say, why animals? What did animals do wrong? What did they they do wrong? And see, that is the point. Since the animals did no wrong, and that's why spotless animals were used without spot or blemish, which symbolized innocence. And these spotless, innocent animals died in the place of the one performing the sacrifice. The animal served as a substitute. Talking about the Old Testament, which was all a type of of Jesus. The animal served as a substitute. The animal died in place of the sinner, but again, only temporarily, which is why the sacrifices in the Old Testament needed to be offered over and over again. The Bible says, why did God use animals? Because, see, they were, they, were, they were innocent. 
And the Bible says without, now listen to this, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. The Bible also says the soul that sins shall die. And of course, we see all the way back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God warned them not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, in the day you eat of that tree, you'll surely die. People sometimes ask me, why did God put the tree in the garden? And the answer is so very simple. God put that tree in the garden because he wants mankind, he wants you and me to love him and serve him, not because we have to, but because we want to. And so... To be free moral agents, which is what human beings are, God had to give man a choice. I want my wife with me, not because she has to be with me, but because she wants to be with me. But yet God put that tree in the garden. He said, of all the trees of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you'll not eat of it. He said, in the day you eat thereof you'll surely die. And of course they ate being tempted of the serpent, cooperating. The serpent cooperated with, the, with Satan, with the devil. And Eve ate, gave to her husband. He ate. They died spiritually. They eventually would die physically. And death entered in through that sin, that disobedience. But it's interesting, just shortly after they sinned, just shortly after they ate of the tree, God promised that he would send the seed of the woman. And it's interesting, women do not have seed. The seed comes from the man. And you see, when God talked to them about the seed of the woman, he was talking about the virgin birth. Because you see, Jesus was born of a virgin. Can you say amen? And you see, he had to be born of a virgin because the sin nature had to be bypassed. And how many of you know Jesus was without sin? And the Bible says he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin, without spot or blemish. But shortly after they ate of the tree, God promised a Savior who would be born of a virgin... He promised them the Son of God. He promised them Jesus. And in fact, what you need to realize is that God is so good and He's so wonderful and He's so magnificent. And how many of you know nothing ever catches Him by surprise? And if you look at Revelation 13.8, you will see in the last part of that verse, Revelation 13.8, that God made provision for the sin of mankind before he ever created him. Notice in Revelation 13.8, the last part of that verse says that Jesus is the Lamb. We're talking about the Lamb of God, Jesus here today. The Lamb slain from when? From the foundation of the world. You see, before God ever put man in the garden, 
God knew that man would sin. Yet God made provision for that before he ever put man in the garden. And Jesus, in the mind of God, in the plan of God, was slain from the foundation of the world. So Adam and Eve sinned. And not only did he promise them that one day this Savior would come, this virgin-born man would come, who in the mind of God had already been slain from the foundation of the world, but God also did something else because you see Adam and Eve, what they did is they made themselves coverings to cover themselves which indicates the work of their own hands. How many of you know by the work of our own hands, we can never go into the presence of God? But God, the Bible says, clothed them after they sinned with skins of animals or animal skin, which implies the death of that animal or animals, however many God used, and the shedding of their blood. Would you agree with me on that? To get those coats, those skins, those coats, those that coverings from the Bible says that you can read it in the book of Genesis that God provided for them coats of skins, animal skins, which God had to take at least one animal, maybe more, and kill that animal and provide those coats. And in so doing, the animal was killed. Remember, the soul that sins must die. And it implied the shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. And so we see God using animals to cover people's sins all the way back to Adam and Eve. You see, God uses the blood of animals in the Old Testament to cover people's sins until Jesus could come in the New Testament and take away our sins. Believe me, taking away is better than covering. Because if something's covered, it could be uncovered, but if something's taken away, it will never be remembered again. We also see then Cain and Abel. How many remembers Cain and Abel? They were the children of Adam and Eve, and of course they came offering their sacrifices to God. The Bible says that Abel's offering was accepted by God, but Cain's was not. And it's, it's interesting as you study it, it's very clear. First of all, Abel offered his by faith. He offered the first and the best, but listen to this. Abel offered from his flock, which indicated a death of the animal and the shedding of blood. Whereas Cain's offering, he brought the fruit of the ground which did not have death involved and it did not have a shedding of blood. You need to understand that. Essentially, Cain was offering the work of his own hands. And that's what man tries to do again and again to access the presence of God. They think that if they can just be good enough 
And really, that's what religion does. Religion is a system of rules figuring out how can we be good enough to reach up to God. But see, Christianity is not a religion. A religion's been made out of it. But Christianity is a relationship where not where man reaches up, but where God reaches down and touches man. In a relationship with a slain and risen Savior. But Cain offered the work of his own hands, the work of his own doing, and it wasn't acceptable to God. Now, there's much more we could say, but for today's message, we need to take that at least away from it, that Cain offered the work of his own hands, but Abel offered the first and the best of his flock, of his, of his, of his sheep. No doubt a lamb, the best lamb that he had, he came and he offered it to God. That means he had to kill it, it died, and then it shows a shedding of blood. And that's why it was acceptable to God. We see Noah. How many remembers Noah? When he came off the ark, he offered animals to God, which implied the death of those animals and the shedding of blood. And then eventually... God commanded the nation of Israel to perform numerous animal sacrifices according to certain procedures that God prescribed. Listen to this. First, the animal had to be spotless. We've already said that to you. The animal had to be spotless, which implied innocence. Second, the person offering the sacrifice had to identify with the animal. And third... The person offering the animal had to inflict death upon it. Which, of course, implied the shedding of blood. Think about that. I don't know about you, but if, there was a, if, I, if I had a, an innocent animal in my flock... And I sinned and I missed it somehow or another... Just think back there then. I'd have to go out and take the best animal I had and offer it to God. I'd have to kill it, shed its blood, and offer it to God. Think about that. Why did people have to kill the animal? I think sin is a horrible thing, dear friends. I said sin is a horrible thing. I said, sin is a horrible thing. The soul that sins must what? Must die. I'm glad we live in the new covenant where we don't have to do that. But that's what they had to do in the old covenant. Why are you teaching on this today? Because I want you to think about some things. Sin is an ugly thing. And they had to kill the animal. They had to come to the house of God and and kill that animal and offer it and so forth and the priest would assist and so forth. Sin is an ugly thing. What is sin? It's disobeying God. Missing the mark, the Bible says. Transgression of the law. So the person offering the animal had to inflict death upon it. Think about that, which implied the shedding of blood. And it's interesting, and you need to understand this. This is so important. 
when they did these things in the Old Testament, if they didn't do it by faith, it was worthless. They had to do what they did by faith. What does that mean by faith? It means believing God, that he would accept that sacrifice. And actually, as you study into the word of God, you find that what they did in faith as they would offer, as they would kill the animal and offer the blood and so forth, they'd have to do it in faith. And it was faith, now listen to this, it was not faith in the blood of that animal, but it was faith in what that animal's blood represented. And that animal's blood represented and was a type of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that he would shed on Calvary's cross. Did you get what I just said? People in the Old Testament got saved the same way we get saved in the New Testament, through faith. Realize, say, through faith. Through faith. You see, in the Old Testament, they looked forward to the cross. We look backward to the cross. But it's the cross. It's always been the cross. It's always been Jesus. From Adam and Eve all the way to the present hour. In the Old Testament, God gave them that system of animal sacrifices. And those animal sacrifices were a type pointing forward to what Jesus would do on Calvary's cross. But when they'd offer these animals, they had to do so with faith, by faith, that God would accept the, the, the animal. The animal had to be without spot, without blemish. And the, the people offering had to have faith not just in the animal's blood, but what, it, what the animal's blood represented, which was the blood of Jesus. And then that animal's blood would provide a temporary covering of sins. Now get this, what I'm about to say. Listen to this, it's, it's very important. God, when people would approach, when people would sin in the Old Covenant, they would approach God. They'd approach the temple. And, the, and, and at the end of that temple was the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. God, as they would approach with that animal, now get this, God would not look at the person, but he would look at the animal and then the animal's blood. Did you get what I just said? And that's, a good, that's good news for us, you see. When they approached, God wouldn't look at them and their sin. He would look at the innocent animal and that animal's blood, which represented the blood of Jesus. Did you get what I just said there? God didn't look at the person that offered the sacrifice. He looked at the animal, the substitute. That animal would substitute. Did you get that? How many is with me? You with me? You following? And so, and we could look at many different things for the sake of time. I, 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 I just can't look at all of them. They had, they had so many of these sacrifices, but basically... Two that I just briefly want to point out, the Day of Atonement, which happened in the fall of the year, was one such time. And several types of animals were used. The central focus on the Day of Atonement were two goats, not, not lambs, but goats. And, and one was slaughtered and its blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat. The other animal, the high priest, would lay his hands on that goat and confess the sins of the people. And then it was sent away into the wilderness, thus symbolizing the temporary removal of the people's sins. And that was done every year. That was the Day of Atonement. That was in the fall of the year. But 
The one I want to talk about now is the Passover. This was another time when animals' blood was specifically used, in this case, lamb's blood. The Passover happened in the spring of the year, and the Passover is always in conjunction with what we know as resurrection time or Easter. And where Passover was initially instituted was in the wilderness with Moses and the... Well, actually, it, it was actually in Egypt when the people, the, the, the Israelites were in Egyptian bondage. And God told Moses to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. How many remembers that? And Pharaoh didn't do it, so there were 10 plagues. And then the last plague was the death of the firstborn. And so all in Egypt who were firstborn, both humans and and beasts, the Bible says, all firstborn, God would pass through the land in judgment. And all firstborns would die. Unless, realize say unless, unless, thank God for the unless, And God gave Moses a way to be saved from that judgment. And he told Moses, he said, each family was to take a male lamb without blemish, which of course implies innocence, and to kill, now this is kill that lamb. Kill an innocent lamb. We need to think about that. Sin is an ugly thing. Killing a lamb. And they had to kill it at twilight. Now, in all of the Bible, all these sacrifices point to Jesus, but perhaps none as, 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 as clearly as, the, as, as Passover, because Jesus died on Passover. And they were to kill it, at the Bible says, at twilight, which was between 3 and 6 p.m. Jesus died on the cross at 3 p.m. They were to place the blood of that lamb on the top and the sides of the doorpost of the house. And you know what that, as they, as they put it up there, what did it make a shape of? Cross. And then they were to roast and eat the lamb, and I could preach an hour on that, but for the sake of time, we'll move on. And then... God said, I'll pass through the land in judgment, and when I see the blood, I will pass over the houses that have the blood applied. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be in one of those houses. Amen. And all who were, the judgment passed over. That's where we get the word Passover. All the type of Jesus. And if you would look at 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, The last part of that verse, we need to look at that. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, the last part of that verse says, the Apostle Paul writing by the Holy Ghost says, For indeed Christ, talking about Jesus, our what? Our Passover was sacrificed for us. And I can say amen to that. And it's interesting, as... Jesus died at Passover. 
And as Passover lambs were being examined, because they did this every year, they did this every year, the Israelites. And it's interesting, when Jesus, right before he went to the cross, it's interesting, as the Passover lambs were being examined for spots and blemishes, because they couldn't use any that had spots or blemishes, as the Passover lambs were being examined for blemishes, Jesus was on trial before the Sanhedrin, before Pilate, and before Herod, and no one could find any spot or any blemish in him. Herod couldn't. Pilate couldn't. The Sanhedrin could. They had to concoct lies on him. They got somebody, some, some liars to come forward and, and lie. But they could not find, how many of you know Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? And he was without spot, without blemish. Even the most hardened of people couldn't find anything wrong with him. He was born of the virgin. He was without sin. Yet he was tempted in all points like as you and I are, yet without Sin. Never sinned one time. How many of you are glad he never sinned one time? He could have. He just never did. It was possible. Some people say it wasn't possible for him to sin. Then the temptations weren't valid. There were valid temptations. He could have sinned. He just never did. I'm glad he didn't because our eternal soul, spirit and soul and body hung on the line. And so Jesus, the Bible tells us, is the Passover lamb slain, of course, as we said a moment ago, in the mind of God from the foundation of the world. Then it actually happened some 2,000 years ago on that cross on Calvary's hill. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross where Jesus died for you and me. He was slain. He was slaughtered. Before he went to that cross, they beat him immersively, put a crown of thorns on his head, and then took him to Calvary and crucified him. He was slain, the spotless Lamb of God. He was put to death. His precious blood was shed. Remember, the soul that sins must die. His precious blood was shed. He was buried in the tomb. And on the third day, he arose from the dead. And many saw Jesus after his resurrection. Women saw him. How many of you know Mary Magdalene was the first one, if I'm not mistaken? And how many of you know women were the first ones commissioned to preach the gospel. Is that right? And then his disciples saw him. More than 500 brethren saw him. James saw him. Paul saw him. John saw him. We saw the Isle of Patmos. Let me throw something else in for you. The soldiers that guarded the tomb saw Jesus walk out of the tomb. And they still didn't believe. Oh, if I could just see it, Pastor, I'd believe it. No, you wouldn't, not necessarily. 
Now, Thomas said, unless I can see the nail prints in his hands and the, his side, the spear in it, his side where he was, they put the spear in, he said, I will not believe. And then eight days, some eight days later, Jesus appeared to him again. And he told Thomas, he said, stretch forth your hand and touch me and handle me. And he said, he looked at him, he said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, because you've seen me, Thomas, you believe. But he said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. But those soldiers, think about it. If I could just, if I, if, 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 if I could just have seen him walk out of that tomb, I'd believe. There's people saw him walk out of that tomb and they did not believe. I learned a long time ago, I, I've stopped trying to talk people into trying to get them to believe. My job is to preach the gospel. It's the Holy Ghost's job to convict people, but it's people's job to obey the Holy Ghost and listen. Did you hear what I just said? And after his resurrection, go to Hebrews, the 10th chapter. We're just going to read a few verses here that I think will begin to pull this together before I close. Look at Hebrews 10, verse 4. What did John say? He said, John the Baptist, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who, what, takes away the sin of the world. Now look at this, Hebrews 10, 4. I said all of what I just said, really, to get to this part, part right here. If I had just started out reading this, it wouldn't have made as much sense to you, but now it will. Hebrews 10, 4. It is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats or lambs or animals, it's not, the possible, it's not possible that the blood of animals should what? Should what? Not possible. See, the blood that was shed in the Old Testament, as I've said, the blood of those animals did not take away the sins. What did it do? It covered. But if something's covered, it could be. But look at Hebrews 9.24. And now we're going to read some things of what Jesus did after he was raised from the dead, which oftentimes doesn't get looked at or talked about. And we really ought to talk about it, this being Resurrection Sunday, because a lot of people don't know what Jesus did after, after he was raised from the dead. And it's been in the book of Hebrews all along. Notice here, nine, Hebrews 9.24. For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into where? See, down here on the earth, there was that tabernacle, you know, and the priests would minister at it and so forth. But it was a copy of what is in heaven. And God gave that copy to Moses and so forth. But there, the, the tabernacle here on the earth, it was just a copy of the one in heaven. And the Bible says... In verse 24, Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands. That's talking about the one down here on earth, which are copies of the true. But into heaven itself, what did Jesus do after he was raised from the dead? He went into heaven itself to appear in the presence of God for us. He did that after he was raised from the dead. He went into heaven itself to appear in the presence of God for us. 
See, when people approached the tabernacle with the animal, was God looking at them or the animal? Jesus went up there. He died on the cross for us. He was raised from the dead on the third day, and he entered into heaven, and he did it for us. Realize, say, for us. And then look at Hebrews 9, verse 12. Gives us a little more on this. What he did, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place. Where is that at? That's in heaven. Once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Isn't that wonderful? He went up there, not with the blood of animals, but he went up there with his own blood. Isn't that wonderful? And he presented his own blood on that heavenly mercy seat. And it was accepted by God the Father. And he did it for us. Glory to God. Now look at Hebrews 10 verse 11. Look at Hebrews 10 verse 11. It says this, And every priest stands ministering daily. This is talking about the Old Covenant now in the Old Testament. Every priest would stand ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never, what? Take away sins. But this man, talking about Jesus, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Praise God forevermore. See, the blood of the animals covered sin, but Jesus, the Lamb of God, he shed his blood and his blood, what? It, it takes, say take away, it takes away sin. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west. Why does it say that? Well, if you go north, eventually north and south will meet. You go south, eventually north and south will meet. But if you go east, you never meet west. If you go west, you never meet east. The Bible says that God has so removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. And there's one verse that talks about thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. Glory to God. God will never remember our transgressions again. Can you say amen? amen? Glory to God. And it's because of what Jesus did for us through his death, burial, and resurrection, and through his shed blood, what he did on the cross, and then he was raised from the dead. He went up into heaven for us, went into that heavenly holy of holies, presented his holy blood on that heavenly mercy seat, and obtained eternal redemption for us. Glory to God. Now, Notice, if you would, 1 Peter 1.18. 1 Peter 1.18. Peter, under the power of the Holy Ghost, writes this and says, Knowing that you were not redeemed or purchased with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct, Received by the tradition of your fathers. But what, so what were we redeemed with? What were we purchased with? Verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, as of a lamb, we're talking about the lamb of God, without what? Without blemish and without, that should mean a lot more to you now. You should understand that better. The animal had to be without spot and blemish in the Old Covenant, indicating innocence, and Jesus was a lamb without blemish and without spot. And his precious blood is what purchased us. 
back from the devil. Glory to God. His precious blood satisfied the claims that were against us. The claims of a holy God. The Bible said that man and God were at enmity, but Jesus came and made peace between us and God with the blood of his cross. Glory to God. Isn't that wonderful? And then Revelation 7.14. Revelation 7.14, notice this. John again says this. He's, he sees in, in and on down into the tribulation period. And he says, And I said to him, Sir, you know, He's asking about this great multitude who came out of tribulation. He's asking, who, who, who are these people? And I said to him, sir, you know. So he said to me, these are the ones who have come out of great tribulation. Now watch this. Here you'll see why we're reading this verse. And washed their robes and made them white in the what? In the blood of the Lamb. And who is the Lamb? Jesus. Can you say Amen. Now, as I begin to close this, look at, look at Hebrews 11, verse 28. It's very pivotal. You've got to get this because your eternal soul hangs on this verse, what we're about to read here. Hebrews eleven twenty-eight. 28. We, remember, we talked about the Passover. We just talked about it. But this verse needs to be included. So I've mentioned it, but it, it needs to be talked about again. Hebrews eleven twenty eight. What's those first two words? By, by, by what? By faith. What is faith? It's just simply having a heart belief, not a not a head belief, but a heart belief, a heart sellout. By faith, he talking about Moses and, and and those people there, the Israelites. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. You see, the shed blood of those lambs there on the Passover, just, just because the blood was shed, did not take effect unless the people had faith. Did you get that? They had to have faith. And when people, as I said earlier, when they'd approach God with the blood of the animal and so forth, they had to have faith in that blood, but it wasn't the faith in the blood. It was faith in what that blood represented. It was faith in the blood of Jesus. And here he's talking about faith in the Passover. And the Bible said Jesus is our Passover. He's the lamb that was sacrificed for us. And you see his blood has been shed. He's gone into heaven. He's, he's presented his blood on the heavenly mercy seat. He sat down at the right hand of the Father. And that blood is available to, to everybody. But in order for that blood to go go into effect in your life, you have to have a heart sellout. You have to have faith in Jesus Christ and in his shed blood. Can, can you say amen? amen? And if you don't do that, the blood of Jesus won't do you any good. Did you hear me? You know, John 3.16 tells us how to activate the blood of Jesus in our lives. John 3.16, Jesus himself said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes, or we could say have faith, whoever believes or has faith in him should not perish. What does that mean? That means go to hell. But have what? Everlasting life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Isn't that wonderful? How do, you, how do you enact the blood of Jesus? How do you make it active in your life? How do you get it, you know, just like they applied it in the day on Passover to the, to the, to the doorpost and the top of that, uh, that, that doorway. How did they, how did they get, how, how do we get, they applied it with the hyssop and so forth, you know, the, the, how, how do we get that, that, the blood of Jesus applied to us by childlike faith in him with simple repentance of sin and just simply believing on Jesus, trusting in him, selling out to him. And if you'll do that, that blood will be applied to the doorposts of your heart. You'll miss hell, you'll make heaven. Romans 10 verse 9 says this, Romans 10 verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe, notice it says, not in your head. A lot of people just believing in their head. Do you believe in God? Well, I believe in God. Well, the Bible says the devils also believe and tremble. Just believing in your head isn't going to enact the blood of Jesus. Believing in your head, there's a lot of people believing in their head. They just got a head, they've got a head Christianity. No, if you want to miss hell and make heaven, you've got to get you've got to have a heart Christianity. You've got to have a heart relationship with Jesus. Can you say amen? You know something else I found out? People that have a heart relationship with Jesus that are truly saved. This is bold, but I'm going to save it. People that truly have a heart relationship with Jesus Christ don't come to church just once a year. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's how you enact the blood of Jesus. Believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead. Have a heart sell out to him and confess him with your mouth. And if you do that, you'll be saved. The Bible says, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. See, as you approach Jesus, you approach him as sinful and so forth. But when you approach him with a repentant heart and you call on his name and you believe on him and receive him, that blood, go, the blood of Jesus goes into operation spiritually and it washes you as clean as, as though you've never sinned in the first place. Glory to God. It justifies you. It's just as if you've never sinned. He removes sin from you. He cleans you. You get born again. Realize, say born again. You get born again. Your spirit gets hooked up with the life of God. You're totally cleansed, totally clean. You're a Christian. Can, can you say amen? It's a good deal. So I want to close by asking you a question. Everyone in here today. How are you approaching the throne of God? How do you stand today before the throne of God? Are you approaching him on your own merit like Cain did and so many others do? You know, it's a dangerous thing to approach God without a sacrifice. And we know the animal sacrifices have been done away with. There's only one sacrifice that stands today and it's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. It's Jesus Christ. How are you approaching 
God today. If they approached him in the old covenant without a sacrifice, they would be consumed. They'd fall dead. How are you approaching God today? How are you? I'm asking everybody in this room. How are you approaching God today? How do you stand before the throne of God today? In Revelation chapter 20, I want to just read just a couple of verses here about people who approach the throne of God and they live their lives and they approach the throne of God and they approached his throne without Jesus. They said, I don't need Jesus. They said, I don't need him. They said, I'm good enough. I'm good enough on my own. I'm fine on my own. I'm good on my own. Do you know there's a man in the Bible named Cornelius? He was a good man. He, was a, he, was, he, he, he did good things. He was a good family man. He, he, he gave money to the poor. He prayed every day. And yet an angel of God appeared to him and said, call for Peter and he'll tell you what you must do. And I'm thinking, what you, what you must do? Here's a, he prays every day. He gives to the poor. He, he's a good family man. And yet he, he was just as lost as could be. See, because he didn't have Jesus. And so he sent for Peter and Peter came and preached a death, burial, and resurrection to him. And he received Jesus and he got born again. You see... Uh, We must approach God with a sacrifice. And here in Revelation 12, verse 20, it talks about people who who, who said, I don't need Jesus. Talks about people here who who did not, they lived their life, they breathed their last, and they did not receive him, or they, listen to me, they neglected to receive him. How many of you know to neglect Jesus is the same as to reject? Now, you listen to me. There's a lot of people that try to sidestep Jesus. They try to sidestep him. Do you know what I mean? They they won't talk about it. And they wouldn't come right out and reject him, but they neglect him. And I'm here today to tell you that to neglect him is to reject him. And we're going to read just, just four verses about these people. It'll be on the screen. I'm going to read out of the King James here. Look at this. Revelation 20 verse 12. And John said, this is, he's looking down in time, this great white throne judgment. Everybody that rejected Jesus, everybody that neglected him now stand before the throne of God. In verse 12, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. Do you know how you get your name in the book of life? You get your name in the book of life by repenting of your sins and inviting Jesus into your heart as your personal Savior. But the book of life was opened and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their work. See, they didn't accept the work of Christ on the cross. They didn't accept what he did. They didn't accept his blood. And so now they have to stand according to their own works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. That's a worse place than hell. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You know the dumbest thing anybody ever did is go to hell? I'm going to say that again. The dumbest thing anybody ever did is go to hell. Did you know hell is an unusually terrible place? Listen to me. Hell is an unusually terrible place. God didn't create it for man. He created it for 
the devil and his angels. And did you know that God never has sent one person to hell, yet millions of people have gone there? There's people going there every time I snap my finger. There's somebody dying in the world and going to hell. Hell, listen to me, hell is an unusually terrible place, but did you know what? Hell is also unusually barricaded. Do you know that hell has something standing right in front of its gates? You know what it is? It's the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's the empty tomb. And in order for a person to get into hell, do you know what they have to do? They have to live their life and reject or neglect to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm convinced that's the worst thing about hell. People that are there in the fire and the torment, they don't have to be, and they know they don't have to be. They could have escaped it that quick by saying, Jesus, come into my heart. There's just one thing when he comes into your heart, he changes you. And then you're interested in the things of God daily. How are you approaching God today? Let me give you some advice. Approach God upon the merits of Jesus, the Savior, the Lamb slain and resurrected from the dead. Approach God based on the merits of His precious blood. You don't want God looking at you. Listen to me. You don't want God looking at you when you approach Him But you want God looking at who? Jesus. When I go before the throne of God, I don't go on my own merits. I don't want God looking at me. When I go before God and His throne, I want God looking at Jesus. That's why I hold on to Jesus through faith in my heart. I hold on to Him as tight as I can because I want God not looking at me. I want Him looking at Jesus and his shed blood. And as long as I have faith in Christ and faith in Jesus, God doesn't look at me. He looks at Jesus and what he has done. And God says, you know what God says about me and everybody else that has faith in Jesus? He says, innocent, not guilty. And the devil will try to bring your sin up to you and condemn you and, 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 and accuse you. And you stand before God in the blood of Jesus. And God, the Father who is the judge, looks at me, but he doesn't see me because I've got a hold of Jesus. He looks at the Lamb slain, glory to God, and he sees him. And if I'm repentant and confess, it doesn't mean I can live however I want. Now, that don't mean that. It doesn't mean I can live however I want. That's not what I'm talking about here. This is talking about, see, you get Jesus in your heart. You, you get sin going in your life. You, you're miserable. You're one of the most miserable people that there, that there is. Because, you see, when, if, you, if you're a Christian, you got sin in your life. Let me tell you what happens. You get out in the world. You can't enjoy sin. Why? Because you got Jesus in your heart. Your heart's condemning you. The Holy Ghost working on you. You come to church. You can't even enjoy church. Because when you're worshiping him, you know that sin's there. And it's, it's troubling you. I'll just repent of it and confess it. What do you say? Get it totally out, praise God. Get it out of your, get the sin out of your life. You can do it today. You can do it today. Christians that play with sin are some of the most miserable people because they can't even enjoy, they can't enjoy sin because they got Jesus in their heart and they can't enjoy church because they got sin in their life. You need to just repent of the sin and, and confess it. This doesn't mean you can live however you want. 
but you receive Jesus, you get born again, and you walk, you walk close to God. And then you miss it somewhere or another. How many's ever missed it since they got saved besides me? You miss it. And 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins as Christians now, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He doesn't look at me. He looks at my sacrifice, who is Jesus. This is a good deal. The gospel is good news. Stand with me if you would. Bow your heads, please. You know, I teased at the beginning with April Fool's Day, but I want to be very serious. The Bible says a fool is set in his heart. There is no God. I said a moment ago, one of the dumbest things anybody ever did is go to hell. I'll say it another way. This being April Fool's Day. You'd have to be a fool to go to hell. Absolutely. Because it's so easily avoided. Repent of your sins. Receive. Repent just means to turn. Turn away from and accept Jesus into your heart. And in a moment, faster, I mean faster than you can... S- I humorously say it this way, faster than you can snap your eye or bat your fingers. Faster than you can bat your eye or snap your fingers. If you receive Jesus, he'll translate you from the kingdom of darkness over into the kingdom of light and the kingdom of God's dear son. I'm taking a little time here. I know it's... it's Eastern people got things to do and get, but I'm taking a little time because why are you taking a little longer today, Pastor? I'm giving the Holy Ghost time to work on your hearts. Now, the heads bowed and eyes closed. We're going to pray a general prayer here. I want everybody to pray it. I realize that the majority of you are born again, but in the event there's somebody here that's never accepted Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity. So we'll all pray this, but if you've never accepted Jesus, and this message has touched your heart in some way today. This would be a great day to get born again. Accept Him as your Savior. Start serving Him. Make a difference for God. God's got a plan for your life. I tell you right now, I seldom do this on a on an Easter, but I'll say this by the Spirit of God. There's some there's some people in here right now, you're not serving God as you ought to be. And, and, and there's people's souls that hang in the balance. He wants you to touch those people and you're playing around and goofing around. No, get serious with God and start serving Him. God's got people He wants you to reach for Him. Holy Ghost, get a hold of my tongue. Today is a good day to commit yourself to God. And start making a difference for the kingdom of God. I know this is a little bold, but needed to be said. Say this. Say, God in heaven, I come to you in Jesus' name. I repent of my sins. I turn from my past. And I turn to you. I turn to the Lamb. Jesus, slain for me from the foundation of the world. I believe in my heart that he died for me 
He shed his blood for me. He was buried. And on the third day, he was raised from the dead. I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Jesus, come into my heart. Cleanse me with your blood. I make you my Lord and my Savior. I'll serve you from this day forth. Thank you for writing my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. I'm born again now. I'm a Christian. I'll miss hell. I'll make heaven. And I commit myself this day to serve you with my whole heart. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being my sacrifice. I cling to you by faith. And when the Father looks at me, He doesn't see me, but He sees you. And I'm in you, and you're in me. And I rejoice because of it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Now, if you did that for the first time, when we dismiss, there'll be some men and women standing up here. You need to come up here. It's important that you tell somebody.